0: My uh, name is Brett Patterson, and uh, it is a joy to be able to open God's Word with you this morning, and for those of you that I don't know, um, I, I uh, am on staff here at the church, and I've been on staff for six years now as the pastor of discipleship for the last couple of years, and so we're glad you're here to worship with us this morning. And uh, it's kind of odd, I just, it just dawned on me that this service is incredibly full And I didn't notice that before, so wow, welcome to all of you. Wonderful, glad you're here today. So today we are going to be in our uh, second message in a series called I Follow Jesus. And uh, if you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and open it up right now to John chapter 15. John 15. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up, nice and high. We've got ushers coming down. They would love to get a copy of God's Word in your hand. In, in your hand, you can keep that hand up so they remember where you are. And uh, we would love for you to follow along, because really we're just going to kind of walk through some of John 15 um, today. Our message is called "Fully Devoted to Christ." Last week, if you weren't with us, or you know, if you were with us for that matter. Um, We'll just recap a little bit. Pastor Daryl preached the first message, which was all about delighting in Jesus Christ. And really such an amazing message about what it truly means to find our delight in Christ and to find our joy in Him. And one of the things that really struck me in that message is Daryl came back to this over and over again saying that this is really it. You know, if we get what it means to delight in God to delight in Christ, then the other things in our lives, they begin to fall into place. That is it. That is it. And so this message today is not a separate message um, from last week. It's not a different thing, but it flows out of that message. Notice what's up on the screen right now. Notice this. As we delight ourselves in the Lord, that stirs us to devote ourselves to the Lord. You see that? But then as we are stirred to devote ourselves to the Lord, our time, our talent, our treasure, then we begin to even delight in the Lord more. It's circular. And Lord willing, next week, we're going to see how displaying Christ plays into all of this. And so today, as we jump into this message fully devoted to Jesus Christ, we're going to talk about two different aspects of being devoted to Christ. Two different aspects. The first aspect is our personal walk with Jesus Christ. Personal devotion to Christ. The second aspect is us being devoted to Christ in community. So we're going to look at those two things and we are going to start in John chapter 15 and then we're going to move to Romans 12 a little bit later in the message. And so this morning we're going to be in John chapter 15 talking about abiding in Christ. And as I say that, uh, some of you who have been around a while are maybe like, oh, I've heard this before. You can be honest, anybody feel that a little bit? I had somebody come up to me after the service, nobody's honest in here, okay, that's okay. You guys are lying, we'll sort that out later, okay? Um, but I had someone come up to me after the first service and was like, hey, yeah, actually, when you said John 15, I was like that. I was like, oh, I've heard this before. Um, and, uh, and then she said, but you know what? God opened my heart to receive it in a new way this morning. And so maybe even right now, just in your own seat, even just pray in your own heart. You know, if, if you become familiar With God's Word. It's great to be familiar with God's Word, but it's really bad to be familiar with God's Word when we don't hear it anymore. So just pray in your own heart. God, would you just open my heart to what you have for me this morning from this familiar passage of Scripture? And so this morning as we dig into John 15 and we talk about devotion to Christ and what that looks like and how we live that out, I just want to say this as we get started this morning more than God wants your 15 minutes of time in the morning, more than God wants your once-a-month service on a Sunday, more than God wants you to share your faith in your workplace, and yes, all of those things, but more than these things, more than any of them, God wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants all of it. He wants to be the center of your affection, the center of your delight, the center of your devotion. That's what he wants. More than just your acts of service, more than just you know trying to follow him and do the best that you can. He wants your heart. He wants your love, your adoration, your affection, your worship, and he wants all of that to flow out into devotion to him. And so listen, when he has your heart, when he has all of your heart, then your life will begin to shift in a direction where you will want to be committed to other people, where you will want to live and love others. Then your life in your life, you will long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Then in your life, prayer won't just be an add-on anymore. Prayer will be essential because it will be communication with your heavenly father because you are so needy and because he is so great. Then in those moments, Worship will be sweet and you will delight in your Savior and witness will not be a burdensome thing, but it will be the joyful overflow of your heart that has been captured by the living God. Listen, all of these things, all of these things come from delighting in God. They flow out of that. They're not separate from that. And so this morning, this morning, as we dig into this, as we start in this place this morning, Maybe you're saying, yes, but how does that work? What does that look like? How do I get to a place where where that's actually happening? I want to delight in the Lord, but how do I get there? That's where we're gonna go this morning as we dig into John chapter 15. And so if you have your Bible with you right now, we're gonna look at John 15. We're gonna look at John 15 together and I'm gonna read verses one through 11 for us today. And then we're going to go back and we're just going to draw out a few things. What does it mean to abide in Christ, to be devoted to Christ, and to draw our life from him? So John chapter 15, we'll start in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says this, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Amen. 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 This morning, we're just going to start right here in this passage, and we're going to start with this simple point that's already up on the screen. Point number one in this morning's message is just this. Devotion to Christ comes from abiding in Christ. Devotion to Christ comes from abiding in Christ. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write that down. That's going to be the starting place and everything else that we're going to say is going to flow out of that. But true devotion to Christ comes from abiding in Christ. Now, let me just spell that out for you for a second. Devotion to Christ doesn't come from serving Christ really hard. Devotion to Christ doesn't come from trying to just be a good Christian. Devotion to Christ doesn't come from trying to love others well. It doesn't come from those things. Devotion to Christ comes from abiding in Christ. We've got to get that. That is absolutely essential to our foundation. Anything else for a foundation to being devoted to Christ is a foundation of sand. Okay, the foundation, the good foundation is that being devoted to Christ means that I abide in him maybe you're like, yes, I agree, but tell me what that means. Tell me what it means to abide in Christ. Tell me what it looks like to abide in Christ. Great question. Okay, let's do that. Let's, let's break this down really simple as we go through this text this morning. Okay, first things first. We need to recognize this, and I think we all get this. This is just basic, okay? When Jesus says, I am the vine, he's not saying that he's a literal vine. Nod your head yes if you get that, okay? He's not saying, like, I've got real branches and leaves and real grapes hanging on me. He's not saying that, and he's not saying that we are real branches, but he is creating a picture for us. He's saying, it's really like this, guys. It's really actually a lot like this, okay? And so we're gonna press into that a little bit. So we just need to get that. But there's something else that we need to get here that's equally important. This passage has been confused by some um, all the way throughout church history, but especially recently. Uh, Some people have gone out to say that this passage is actually talking about union with Christ. Let me just explain that in a second. Okay, some people have said this is talking about union with Christ, that Jesus' is the vine, and we are attached to him, but if we don't abide in him, then we'll fall off and we will be lost and we'll go from being saved to being unsaved. Just emphatically this morning, I'm going to say that is not what this text is talking about at all, okay? Got it. Just look at your neighbor and say that's not what it's talking about. Good, I'm glad that's clear. Okay, this text is not primarily talking about union with Christ, us being connected to Christ. Union with Christ happens at the moment of salvation, okay? At the moment of justification. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we confess our sin and repent of our sin and receive him as Savior, we are united with Christ. That is an unbreakable bond, okay? You cannot be saved and then unsaved. I'm just going to say that. You can't be a new creation and then not a new creation. You can't be born again and then not born again. That doesn't even make sense. I had a baby. It was born. Now it's not born. It's like, you're crazy. That just doesn't work. And Now, furthermore, furthermore, if this passage was talking about union with Christ, then it would actually contradict what Jesus had said in John 10 and John 9 about nobody being lost, anyone who comes to him, being held in the Father's hand, and contradict more what he says in John 17 when he prays for those who are believers. So this is not about union with Christ primarily. But if it's not about union with Christ, then what is it about? Well, actually what it's about, it's about communion with Christ about communion with Christ. It's not about us being joined to Christ, but it is about our fellowship with Christ. It's about us enjoying Him, delighting in Him, abiding in Him, our communion with Christ. Now, we have communion service here at Harvest Niagara, typically about once a month, maybe a little bit more frequent than that once in a while. And when we have communion service, What we're actually doing is we are actually remembering the Lord and we are signifying that we have an unbreakable relationship with Christ in which we fellowship with Him. Did we get that? Okay. So communion is not just... The, the bread and the cup, okay, that is the symbols of communion, of the Lord's Supper, but communion with Christ is, in fact, our relationship with Him, the ongoing relationship that we have as we walk with Him, as we fellowship with Him, as we draw our spiritual life from Him, okay? So this text is not about union. It is primarily about communion with Christ. And so when we say we, we need to abide in Christ. We're talking about having life-giving communion with Jesus Christ. We're gonna flush that out a little bit, okay? So next thing, though, that we need to get in this passage is we need to get a bit of a working definition to know what it really means to abide in Christ. And so let's try to just do that right now. Let's just bring that up on the screen, okay? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Okay, right here. I abide in Christ... When I draw my spiritual strength from the power of His resurrected life. What does it mean to abide in Christ? To abide in Christ is to draw my spiritual strength, all of it, from the power of His resurrected life. Okay, that's a good working definition of abiding, but to be honest, it's a bit abstract. It's kind of out there. It doesn't really relate to everyday life. Does anyone feel that? I kind of feel that. I'm like, okay, that tells me what it is, but it doesn't tell me what it looks like. Okay? So we'll leave that up on the screen just for a second, but then I want to start to kind of lead us through what it actually looks like to abide in Christ in everyday life. What does it actually look like to walk with Christ and to submit to Him and to yield to Him every day? Well, here's a few things right here. We're going to see three things coming out of this passage. Okay, three things that are essential for us, okay? Abiding in Christ is being, okay, first of all, connected to Christ. That's where it starts. That's the starting place, okay? That is union with Christ, being connected to Christ. That happens the moment that you are saved. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are connected to Christ. You are grafted into the vine of your salvation. You are grafted into Christ. You become part of the bride of Christ. You become part of the body of Christ. You become part of the church of the living God who is enrolled in heaven and seated at the right hand. Okay? You are part of Christ himself. You are part of his body. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. Okay? That is our connection to Christ. And so let me just say this this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's where it all starts. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ. You haven't put your faith and trust in him. You haven't received him as your Lord. If you're here today and you know, you've been a faithful church attender for a long time, you, know, you carry your Bible with you, you know, and you do all of those things, um, but you've never truly bowed the knee to Jesus. You've never admitted that you're a sinner because you've always kind of thought that you weren't really that bad. If that's you this morning, then you're not connected to Jesus. You're not grafted into the vine. You've not been born again. You've not been saved or justified. You're not yet a new creation, but you can be this morning. This morning, in an instant, you need to admit your absolute need for Jesus Christ this morning. You need to admit the, admit the fact today that apart from Christ, there is no good in you. Now, this is, this is huge for us today. Because we tend to like to think of ourselves as pretty good people, don't we? You, I do. I do. In the other service, there was a couple of people, but there's none in here, so I guess we can skip this because nobody here thinks of themselves as good, right? I'm messing with you guys, okay? okay? Okay, there's one, okay. We tend to think of ourselves as pretty good because we look at somebody else whose life is a train wreck and we're like, well, I'm doing better than them, so God must think I'm doing better too. But here's the reality. In the eyes of a perfect, holy God, we are completely sinful. Everything about us. You're like, well, I do some good things. Yes, true, you're not as bad as you could be, possibly, potential, praise God that we're not, okay? But everything is tainted by sin, we are sinful at the core. That is the reality that the Bible teaches over and over again. The Bible teaches us that apart from Jesus Christ, before we come to Christ in faith, that in fact our good works are filthy rags. Our good works are not a ground of boasting before God, but they are actually a hindrance that holds us back from coming to the living God. Do we get that? Do we understand that? That if I go to God and I say, God, would you look at all the good that I've done? Would you look at this? Would you look at this? Would you look at this? Therefore, you should accept me. In fact, what I am doing is I'm creating an idol and I'm blaspheming the living God based on my own standard of goodness, which is a false standard, not true whatsoever. We have nothing before God. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, if you are relying on any good works, if you're relying on yourself, if you're relying on your track record, it is a false hope this morning. Today's the day to bow the knee to Christ. Today's the day to say, I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. I need you, Lord. Forgive me for my sin. I trust that you have paid my debt on the cross. I believe in you. I lean on you today. Confess your sin to him. And he will save you. And then in that moment, you will be connected to Jesus Christ. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are already connected to Christ. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. We are already grafted into Christ. We are a part of him. And now the call for our lives is to abide in him, to be devoted to him, to draw our strength from him. Well, what does that look like? Well, here it is. Okay, the second thing that we need to see is we are to be nourished by Christ. We are to be nourished by Christ. So we are connected to Christ. That is faith. That is salvation. And then we are to be nourished by Jesus Christ continually. We are to draw our spiritual life from Christ completely. Now, the Lord gets very specific in this text, actually, and he tells us what this looks like. I I love this passage because we don't have to wonder, what does it actually look like to abide in Christ? He actually goes after the specifics. So if you'll just track with me under this point for a moment, these things won't be up on the screen, but you can just jot them down. Jesus goes through very specific things that actually are what cause us to abide in him. Okay, so here's the first one. Verse 7a, the beginning of verse 7, take a look at this. Jesus says that his words, okay, that we are to abide in his words. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, okay, just... If you're a person who writes in your Bible, just maybe underline that or circle that, okay? Just circle the word words in your Bible right there, okay? If if my words abide in you, that's the first thing. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means to abide in his word, but more than we abide in his word, it is for his word to abide in us, okay? For his word to be the anchor of our hearts, for it to be our meditation, for it to be a source of life for us. Colossians 3.16 says that we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That means that we are to take in the word of God. We are to digest it. It is to be in us and then to flow out of us. Jesus calls us to abide in his word. You know, it's not um, a coincidence that we call our time that we spend with God, whether in the morning or in the evening, that we call that our devotions. That's not a coincidence. Why do we call that time our devotion time? Is that the sum total of our devotion to Christ? No, it's not. But that is one of the major things that we do to stir our devotion to Jesus Christ, isn't it? Right? So maybe we should say, this is my my, uh, stirring to devotion time. This is when I get stirred up, when I go to the word of God and I read in the word of God things that encourage me, but also things that convict me. You know, the word of God is like a mirror, isn't it? We read in the word of God and we see our hearts and lives laid out before us and we're like, oh man, I'm like that. I need help okay, where am I going to go? I'm going to go to Jesus. He's going to give me the help that I need, okay? That is one of the most major things to stir up our delight in Jesus Christ and our devotion to Him is the Word of God, okay? The Word of God is worth longing for. The Word of God is worth pursuing. The Word of God is worth studying. It is worth reading. It is worth digesting, but even more than all of those things, it is worth being your meditation hour by hour, day by day. And Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he says this, verse 7b, ask, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You're like, sweet, okay. If I just, you know, read the Bible a bit, I can ask anything I want of Jesus and he'll do it for me. That is awesome. And that is totally wrong. You just, you missed it if you were thinking that, okay? No, that's not at all what he's saying here. He's saying if, 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 my word abides in you, okay? If my words, all of my words, everything that I have said and commanded, if it abides in you, that means that it lives in you. And if the word of God lives in you, then it has authority over your life. You yield to it. Do we get that? So it's really interesting. Jesus says that. And then in 7b, he says this, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Jesus doesn't need to qualify that, does he? He doesn't need to say, except for the really fancy, fast car, except for the really nice house, except for this and that and the other thing. He doesn't need to do that, does he? He's already done that. Notice, notice back what he says at the beginning of verse seven. If you abide in me, if you live in me, and my word lives in you, ask whatever you wish. What is he saying here? He's saying simply that our will will be aligned. Your will will be submitted to my will. It's really interesting how this is so similar to what Pastor Daryl taught us last week, isn't it? That when we delight ourselves in the Lord, um, that he becomes the center of our delight and that we can ask of the Lord and he will give, he, our desires are aligned with his. Huh, that's really interesting. You're like, wow, they're smart. They came up with two things that are very similar. No, we're not smart. Okay, that's God's word. God is smart and God just arranged it that way. And it's amazing that you know, the word of God communicates the same truths over and over again to us in different ways. But notice, we are to abide in Christ's words, but then we are to ask, we are to ask of him. What does that mean? What does it mean to ask? Okay, to ask is really a picture of prayer, isn't it? Do you understand what happens when we ask God for something? You're like, yeah, sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. No, so much more than that, it's not even about that. When we ask God for something, do you understand what we're doing? When we ask God for something, we are bowing our knee in our hearts like this and saying, God, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Would you help me with this? God, would you do what I can't do? We are admitting in childlike faith our absolute dependence on the living God to provide what only he can provide and to do what only he can do. That is an act of worship. That's what it is, okay? When we go to God and we ask him to do things that we cannot do, that is an act of submission and worship and absolute dependence. And God is so honored by that, isn't he? God as a father just delights in that when we come to him in prayer and we ask of him. You know, I've realized lately that I'm so not like the Lord in so many ways. One of those ways in particular that I've noticed and felt the sting of recently is I often, I get frustrated sometimes, often. My wife can vote for this. Um, I get frustrated when my kids come to me and ask me for stuff, especially when I'm busy. When they're like, hey, daddy, can you just help me with this? I'm like, oh, shouldn't you be able to do that by now? Like, at least try or something, right? And I, I get irritated by it, and I'm like, don't, not now, not, you know, go, go. And here, here's why I say that this has been convicting for me, because God has never liked that with his children. He's never like that. He's never frustrated by you coming to him and asking him. He's never like, Oh, I'm really, can't you see I'm really busy right now? Just go away and come back tomorrow. He's not like that at all. He loves it when we come to him as his children and we say, I can't do it, daddy. Help. I need you. And I'm learning with my boys to rejoice in that. Now, of course, I, I want them to be able to tie their own shoes before they're 35, right? That would be a parent fail, okay? But but trying to learn that balance of, yeah, son, I can put down what I'm doing and gladly help you because that is an act of dependence on me. And this is a reflection of our relationship and the relationship that we should have with God. Think about how honored God is when you come as his child and you ask him to help you. Don't forget about that. Don't forget about prayer. Don't forget about seeking the Lord, asking of Him, asking and inviting Him to open your eyes to see His goodness. But then notice this in verse 9, and Jesus goes on to explain other elements of us abiding in Him. Verse 9, He says for us to abide in His love. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. Now we can confuse that statement. We can confuse it by thinking that there is a way that we can somehow do something so wrong, so bad that we actually remove ourselves from the love of Christ. That is wrong. That is incorrect. That is not what Jesus is saying. We need to understand what it means to abide first and foremost here. Jesus is saying that we are to live in his love. When Jesus talks about abiding, what he is saying to us is make your home here. He's saying, okay, this is my love. Live within the parameters of this. Make it your home. Make it your joyful place. Make it where you thrive and where you love to be. That's what he's saying. He's, He's saying, don't run, try to run away from my love. Don't try to run outside the bounds of that. You could never do that anyway. But make this your happy residence. Live here in my love. Notice he says, abide in my words. We abide in his words. We abide in his love. What a beautiful thing that is let me just ask you right now, when was the last time that you really took time to abide in the love of Christ, to meditate on the love of Jesus Christ for you, to think about the fact that you are loved by a holy God? You're like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. He should love me. No, whoa, wow. Wow. No, we are not. The fact that God loves us is a crazy miracle to begin with, isn't it? Because the Bible teaches so clearly, Romans 5, 8, that God shows his love towards us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now we've whitewashed that term uh, sinner to mean somebody who's kind of bad, but we're all sinners and maybe not that big of a deal. But that's not what it means. Um, What it means to be a sinner is somebody who is in active rebellion against a holy God. That's what a sinner is. And so think about that verse, Romans 5, 8. God shows his love towards us in that while we were yet actively rebelling in tyrannical warfare against a holy, perfect God, he shows his love towards us. Listen, so just think about it. How much would your day change? How much would your walk change if you just realized the fact that God loves you as a child of his? that he loves you, that your good efforts don't increase that love, your failures don't decrease that love, that his love for you is constant. It is steady. It is there for you. Listen, there's an amazing verse over in 1 John four sixteen. It says this, this is only a person who is led by the Holy Spirit, who is abiding in the love of God, could ever say this, could ever write this. John says this, he says, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Have you come to know and believe the love that God has for you? God is love, he says, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. What a beautiful picture. To abide in Christ is to abide in his love. It is to to be joyful in his love, to rejoice in it, to make your home there. But Jesus goes on. It's more than that. In verse 10, he says this. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, what he means by that is simple. If you abide in Christ, if you make Christ your happy home, if he is your heart's desire, what begins to happen is God's desires begin to be your desires. You begin to love God's commandments rather than see them as burdensome rules that are against you. 1 John tells us that God's commandments are not burdensome to us. They're not a burden. They're actually a blessing to us to keep us from going off the rails. And we begin as we get to know Jesus and we walk with Him and we rejoice in Him and we live in Him, we begin to love the law of God. God begins to write that law on our hearts. He begins to write His character on our hearts and we rejoice in it and we begin to love it. And He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Listen, this morning, I just feel as though I need to say this in this service. Don't think as a believer in Christ that because Grace is free, and as forgiveness is free, that you can continue in sin, and God will not discipline you. Don't think that this morning. Don't treat grace like a joke this morning. Don't trample on His forgiveness. Don't trample His grace underfoot by thinking that because God is showing you grace, and it's free, that you can continue in sin. The Bible is very clear on that. In Romans chapter six, it says, absolutely not. We can't do that. A believer wouldn't even think that way. We wouldn't even contemplate walking in a sinful lifestyle because we can get away with it. Why? Because as we abide in Jesus Christ, he writes his commandments on our hearts. He writes his love in our hearts and he begins to change us from the inside out, doesn't he? That's what he begins to do. And then this, verse 11 He tells us to abide in his joy. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Who wants the fullness of joy in their life? I want the fullness of joy in my life. Where's it gonna come from? It's going to come from abiding in Christ. It's going to come from being devoted to him, from delighting in him and finding my joy in him. Why? Because the ultimate fullness of joy is heaven and that day is coming. Yes, in this life we will have trouble but there is joy in Jesus Christ right now even amid the hardness and the difficulty of circumstances. Praise God for what we heard in Susan's testimony this morning. One of the hardest seasons of life, but one of the most delight-filled seasons of life as well. How is that even possible? Only through the living God, only through abiding in Him. Praise God. Praise God for that. But listen this morning, church. When we talk about abiding in Christ, we need to recognize this third thing we spent a fair bit of time on being nourished in Christ because we can't miss that. But here's the third thing right here. We need to recognize that when we talk about abiding in Christ, it is all about being fully dependent on Jesus Christ, fully dependent on him. You're like, well, I'm mostly dependent on him. It's kind of like a 50-50 thing with me and Jesus. You know, he puts out a good effort. I put out a good effort too. <clears throat> That's wrong. Okay, that is, that is r- totally wrong. You're like, well, it's not 50-50, but it's like, I don't know, like 80-20, Okay, it's 80% Jesus, 20% me. Wrong, okay, wrong. No, we are fully dependent on him. We receive our spiritual life from him as we yield to him. I just wanna try to bring this illustration home for us a little bit here. Realize how dependent we are. Think about the illustration that Jesus gives us. He is the vine, we are the branches. What can a branch do apart from the vine? Nothing, okay, we'll try that once more. Okay. Um, What can a branch do apart from a vine? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. What does a branch do when it's in the vine? I hear a lot of things. Here's what a branch does when it's in the vine. It just sits there and sucks sap (laughs) and just draws sap from the vine. Do you understand what that makes us? If you're a branch and I'm a branch, that makes each one of us spiritual sap suckers, doesn't it? That's what we do in the best possible way. We just abide in Jesus Christ. We suck sap from him, spiritual life, and that spiritual life overflows in us and then bears fruit. I didn't ever think that I would call you a spiritual sapsucker and you'd smile at me, so I'm (laughs) glad about that. (laughs) I was kind of nervous saying that, but um, good. So we are, we're we're spiritual sapsuckers though. We draw our life from Jesus Christ and then he produces the fruit. That is the overflow. He makes it happen. I love the picture that we have of this in Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says this, and I think this is just an amazing picture of what it means to have a life that is abiding in Christ. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Paul, he doesn't live anymore, but Jesus who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You ask Paul, Paul's like, yeah, I'm not even alive anymore. It's just Jesus living in me. That's what it is. That's abiding in Christ. That's what it means to be devoted and committed to Jesus Christ. I love how John Piper kind of sums up this whole thought right here. Um, This is a quote from one of his podcasts, uh, one of his Ask Pastor John podcasts, and he says this. He says, the bottom line is, hour by hour, let us receive and rest and trust in and savor and enjoy Christ's word and love and joy. He needs some commas in there. Wow. While we submit externally to the merciful providences of God. Did you get all that? Just look at it for a second. Receive, rest, trust, savor. What does it mean to abide? Enjoy Christ's love, his word with joy. And then we submit to the external providences of God. What does that mean? When God leads us through difficult seasons, when we are disciplined because we've been walking down a path of sin, if we're gonna abide in Christ in that moment, we're gonna submit to it and we're gonna say, God, I invite it. Would you lead me back to yourself? Would you change my heart from the inside out? Come whatever may, I trust you. I will lean on you. I will look to you during this season. Listen, devotion to Christ starts with our personal walk. If your personal walk with Christ is not firing on all cylinders, then you're, then you're missing out on so much. But listen, our, our personal walk with Christ is a starting place. It begins there, but then it overflows. It overflows into a radical commitment to one another. Here's the second thing. This is our second and last point in the message today, right here. Okay, devotion to Christ comes from abiding in Christ and then flows out into radical commitment to one another. If you you read that, you're like, oh, that's the same as the first point, but with another piece on the end. Yeah, you got it, it's like one sentence, okay? There it is. Devotion to Christ comes from abiding in Christ and then flows out into radical commitment to one another. There is a personal step in abiding in Christ and being devoted to Christ, but then there's a community step in abiding in Christ, where we walk with one another, where we care for one another and love one another. Now listen carefully, if the personal abiding is not happening, the community stuff will always be ingenuous, it'll always be inauthentic, it will always be a struggle, it will always be a hard thing. But when we are personally abiding in Christ and devoted to Him, the overflow into community will be a joy, won't it? It will be hard at times, but it will be a joy. It will be a pleasure to live life with others and to see Christ at work in them. Let's begin to break this down just a little bit. What does it mean? What does it mean to to really love one another in community in this way and to be devoted to Christ by being devoted to one another? Well, if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and just turn over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're just gonna go there for just a couple minutes right now. Romans chapter 12, so if you go from the book of John and you turn to the right, uh, you'll hit the book of Acts and then right after that is Romans, okay? And Romans chapter 12, we're gonna look at one verse. If you don't find it, that's okay, it's gonna be up on the screen, it's up there right now. But listen to what Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says. This is a, a great verse to help us understand what it means to be devoted to one another. It says this, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now that's the ESV. But I really like the way that the NASB or the NIV says it. The NIV captures something that's going on in this verse, and so does the NASB. Here it is in the NASB. It's up on the screen this way. It says, Be devoted to one another. In brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Now the reason that I say that I really like that is because I think it actually captures what's happening in the Greek here. Now, I'm not a Greek reader, but I have some good tools that I use to help me understand what's going on in the original language, okay? And what what it actually says in the original language is this. It says, with brotherly love to one another, love dearly. So it's got this double emphasis on love, with brotherly love and love. And so the reason that I think it captures it well is because it stresses the fact that we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It is possible to have brotherly love, but not devoted brotherly love that's here, there, kind of everywhere. But this says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be consumed in this. Be all in for this. We're kind of given a picture here in this verse of a sibling, a good sibling, who sticks closer to us than we ever thought possible. Now, that might not even be some of our experiences. Maybe we've had a sibling that has hurt us or has turned away from us in a difficult time. But the picture that we're given here is really of a of, of brother, a brother who, who sticks with us and remains with us through the hardest times, through the most intense situations. And we are told as believers in Christ to be devoted to one another like that, to love one another like that. Well, what does that look like? What does it mean to do that? How do we do that? Give me something more than that. Okay, well, here's a few things coming up on the screen right here, okay? Radical commitment to one another means these things, okay? I would just encourage you, there's gonna be a lot of things that come up quickly here. Maybe at the end, take a picture if you want, or just write quickly. We're gonna go through them fairly fast. Radical commitment to one another means this. For some of you, these are gonna be, you're gonna recognize these um, because you've heard them before. They're good to be reminded of. Okay, First of all, radical commitment to one another means that we meet together consistently. It means that we meet together consistently. As we talk about these things, we think about our small groups and our our men's group and our women's group and our our foundations group and our recovery group and all the different groups that we have in this church. And we say often we're not a church with small groups, but we're really a church of small groups, meaning that small groups of, of sorts are essential to who we are. Because that's where true community and true life happens. And so we meet together consistently. We meet in our small groups. We meet here for worship consistently. You're like, where are you getting that from? Great question. Hebrews 10.25, which says this. Not neglecting to meet together. Okay, don't neglect to meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are told right in scripture that we are to meet together regularly. That we're not to forsake that. We're not to neglect that. Let me just go as far to say actually that we are sinning against the Lord and we are sinning against the community of people that we have covenanted with if we choose to walk away from that. If we choose to just forsake that and say, no, I'm just going to go every once in a while and I'm not really going to be committed, we are actually choosing willfully to forsake what is written in God's word because it says do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the first thing. And that's the first thing, because if, if you don't have the first thing, you can't get any of these other ones after that, okay? They all flow out of that. You got to be there. You got to be in participation for these things to happen. All right, okay, here's the second one. Second thing, we are to intentionally stir one another up to love Christ, We are to intentionally stir one another up to love Christ. We are to think about what what it's gonna take to get Bob in my small group fired up to love Jesus more or what it's gonna take to get uh, Sue in my small group fired up to love Jesus more. I'm gonna spend some time thinking and praying about that and asking God, God, what can I do to get this brother or sister fired up to love Jesus more? Where do I get that from? Hebrews 10, 24, so the verse before it says this. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Don't you love it when the word of God is just like so clear? When it's just like, you're like, what, what should I do? What does it mean for me to live life in community? God's like, all right, I got a few things. Here you go. One, two, three. There, start with those. There you go. Love it. Okay? Next thing. We are also to exhort one another against the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3:13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, if you're in a small group here at Harvest Niagara, or any type of group here at Harvest Niagara, you have a calling of the Lord to encourage, to exhort, and to warn your brothers or sisters in that group against the deceitfulness of sin. What does that look like? That looks like in breakout time, when you guys are talking, when you're sharing, to even say... Listen, don't be tricked. Don't buy into that. Don't walk down that road. Don't do it. I'm going to pray for you. I know that you're entertaining this thought, but I'm going to pray for you every day this week that you will not buy into that, that you will not go in that direction. Or even it, maybe it is just to share one of your own heart struggles and to say, this is where I'm struggling and here's what the Lord has been showing me and how he's been helping me don't, and don't go there. We are called to exhort one another, to warn one another against the deceitfulness of sin. But next, we're called to bear each other's burdens in our groups and in community. We are called to bear each other's burdens. We're called to come alongside each other in the difficult seasons. To help our brother or sister lift up those burdens, whatever they are, whether it is a spiritual weight, whether it is a physical weight, whether it is um, suffering, whether it's sickness, whether it's the loss of a loved one, a child who is straying, whatever it may be, financial difficulties, trouble in the workplace, we are to bear one another's burdens. We are to walk with them in these things. Listen, there's more. We are to forgive one another as we have been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32, and this is tough, I get this. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's a tall order, isn't it? You can't do that without abiding in Jesus Christ, without drawing your love and your life from him. You cannot forgive in that way apart from that. But he calls you to, and he will give you the grace to do it. We are to forgive as we have been forgiven. Furthermore, Romans 12, 10, the verse that we had up on the screen a few minutes ago, we are to genuinely love one another. We are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, okay? Just didn't want to leave that one out of this list. We want to make sure we get that, okay? But then also we are to serve each other wholeheartedly. I think sometimes we forget that that love actually means serving each other, okay? It's easy to be like, oh yeah, I love you. I care about you. But no, I'm not going to help you. Yeah, yeah, I love you, but no way. I'm not going to come over and help you clean out your basement. There's no chance. I think I'm getting my hair done that day or something, right? And it's like, that's not genuine love. Why, why would I say that? Well, because the Bible tells us that. Galatians 5.13 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are to serve one another wholeheartedly. We are to give ourselves to one another, to help one another, to care for one another in these ways. And then also this, we are to submit to one another in humility. Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do we understand that? When we submit to one another, when we yield to one another, when we defer to one another, we are actually doing it not just out out of love to that person, but more than that, we're doing it out of reverence to Jesus Christ, our head. We're yielding to him. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Listen, there's more that we could say, but for some of you, for some of you, this will look really familiar. And it should look familiar to us because every person here at Harvest Niagara, if you're in a small group at Harvest Niagara and you've joined a small group at any time, you actually had a piece of paper that had all of these things written on it. And you looked at it and it had a line at the bottom where you signed your name and you said, yes, I covenant before God with other people to live out these things by the grace of God to the best of my abilities with my whole heart. I'm never going to do it perfectly, but God helped me to live this out. And so this morning, church, this is a call for us to come back to these things. If you have If you have covenanted with the members of your small group and with the Lord to to live in this way, don't default on that covenant. It is hard, but it's what God calls us to. And the fact that it's hard also means that it's good because in the process, God is changing us, he's growing us, he's sanctifying us in this. And so don't give up on walking in community, in authentic community, but trust the Lord for it. I love what it says in Acts 2.42. It's a great verse about authentic community. And it says that the early church, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. They were all in with each other for those things. Praise God. Would we be a church that's all in with each other, being abiding in Jesus Christ personally and then devoted to one another in community? Would God help that to happen here in an even greater way? I just want to encourage you right now at the end of this message. Maybe you're here and you're saying, well, what does this actually look like? Is there an example in Scripture? And I think a great example in Scripture is the example of the Apostle Paul. There was a life that was devoted to Christ. There was a life that abided in Christ. There was a life that lived in authentic community with others. And in Philippians 3 verse 8, Paul says this. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is that where you're at today? Are you able to count everything as lost because of the great worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord? That is devotion to Christ right there. That is abiding in Christ. That is trusting in Christ. And listen, just a word of warning. Word of warning today. If you've been here a while, if you've been um, in, in small group and serving for a while, and you've been plugged in for a while, I just want to, If you've been a Christian for a while, I just want to encourage you this morning. Don't let your love for Jesus Christ grow cold. Don't let your devotion to Christ dwindle. Don't let the flame die down. Don't let that happen. But today... Seek his face and ask him in a new way, God, would you reignite the fire for these things in me? Would you give me a greater hunger for your word to abide with you, to abide in your love, a greater hunger for prayer, a greater hunger for true community, not just walking through life, kind of rubbing shoulders once in a while and having a few laughs together, but for authentic community that really presses deeper into Jesus Christ and for authentic outreach into this world. those things are growing stale in your heart, just pray today that the Lord would renew those and revive those things in your heart, that you would be fully committed and fully devoted to them. But then remember, remember the warning from Revelation that's given to us, and we'll end with this. Jesus warns the church at Ephesus. Now, the church at Ephesus was a church that looked like it had it all going on. Okay, it it looked like it had vibrant ministry and seats full and all of those things. And it looked like they were committed to orthodoxy. But, you know, ultimately they had lost their love for Jesus. And Jesus says this to them. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent, may we never be in a place where our love for Jesus Christ dwindles or grows cold. If your love for Christ is growing cold today, if you're growing tired in Jesus Christ, today's a great day just to get low before Him and say, Jesus, would you revive the flame? Would you ignite that fire in a new way? Today's a great day to have other believers that you know and love gather around you, pray for you, and to care for you and to carry you before the throne of grace. May our love never grow cold. May our devotion to Christ always remain true. May he grow us in community with one another. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come right now at the end of this message so thankful for those of us who know you as Savior to be grafted into the vine, to draw our life from you, to to be nourished by you every day, to be carried by you, and then to be able to bear fruit, Lord. God, we recognize that the fruit in our lives is not because of our doing and our hard work, but it's because your life is flowing through us. The things that happen are because Christ lives in us and he produces them. And God, we are so thankful today that you have called us into a body of believers to be committed to one another, Lord, to be a a unique people, a people that are set apart to the living God, to live authentically with each other. Oh God, would you grow us in these things? God, would you help us to love one another well? Lord, to walk with one another well, to stir one another up to love and good works, to bear one another's burdens, to forgive as we have been forgiven, to serve each other wholeheartedly. Lord, would you lead us in these things? We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, and we pray it for His glory. Jesus, may you be magnified in us as we pursue you in your name. Amen.